You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Gladys Jacobs. And welcome to episode 323 of the Earth Station DCU. Tonight we're going to talk the human target number 11, Blue Beetle graduation day number 3, Tim Drake Robin number 5, Batman One Bad Day Catwoman number 1, Justice Society of America number 2, Catwoman number 51, Action Comics 1051, Detective Comics 1068, Lazarus Planet We Once Were Gods number 1, and The Flash Season 9 Episode 2, Hear No Evil. But before we get into that, let's talk some DC news. All right, Cletus, first up for DC News, Billy Batson gets a new superhero name, nodding to his identity as Captain Marvel and Mark Wade and Dan Mora's upcoming Dawn of DC Shazam series. Wade explains that Billy will simply be re- referred to as the Captain in the upcoming series when responding to a question about the difference between Billy and his super alter ego. Yeah, Drew, I read that and I feel like that article was greatly overblowing what's happening here i feel like it's it's if i'm interpreting what wade said correctly and i think i am it's literally one single line within this (laughs) book (laughs) i'm unconvinced to say the least that they are actually changing his name for any sort of significant amount of time i feel like it's just wade wants to call him captain marvel and can't and so the one time that he has a line that would reference his name he puts in the captain and then everything else just is is what it is See, when I, when I read the article, I got the feeling that that was the kid's nickname for him was going to be the captain. Sure. At most, I think, for Wade's run, though, Drew, I, and maybe for a little bit, but they've committed to Shazam being the name. And yes, Mary is Shazam right now, and that is that is totally fine. But I don't think that we're going to be going back towards, you know, back towards Captain Marvel. I mean, it, I don't think he'll ever be Captain Marvel again, but I don't even think Captain's going to be a long-term name for him. Well, you, you might be right. He might not be. But we'll see how often Mark actually uses it in yeah. his series. And I, again, I haven't, re- obviously, I haven't read it, and he would know, but the way that he phrased that, Drew, made it sound like it was literally a single line. So, and I'm curious, are we going to call, because I noticed in the article he called Mary Mary, and junior junior you know what i mean so i wonder yeah. if they're going to be he's going to be they're going to be like it's the captain it's mary it's junior you know i know wade's old school like me he's used to their older names and uh, when we're reading this stuff we're not actually calling them any name which is weird <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I get, Drew, I get it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Shazam is necessarily better than Captain Marvel. I just, it is what it is. It's, I just don't think that's changing back. And I totally get where Wade is coming from. I get it. I totally do. But it, I, that bridge has been crossed, especially with movies for both the Marvel version and Shazam being made now. Like, you, you've committed. Yeah, I agree. They're not going to go back. I am excited about Mark Wade's version of Shazam, so I I am excited for that series to come out. I think it could be good if he hits 
if he hits the same tone that he's had in World's Finest, I think that book could be really good. I agree, because the Shazam title is a good title for a Silver Age feel of a book. You know what I mean? I agree. Yeah, totally. It it fits that. I I quite like the Mary Shazam title that we finished up last week. That was really good. And I thought that that did a good job of being a modern story while still having, in some ways, the kind of the spirit of, of you know, some of those more lighthearted older comics. Again, it didn't, I mean, it wasn't old school. It was very much a modern story, but I thought it hit the right tone. So even just something like that, I think would be fine. So we'll, we'll see what Wade does. But I ha- I the last book that we've seen out of the Shazam family was pretty good, which is refreshing because that's not been the case recently. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Up next for DC News, the Penguin HBO Max series adds new cast members. Michael Kelly, Shori Agalazalu, Deidre O'Connell, and Renzi Feliz have been cast in the series. While it's unclear who the other actors are playing in the series, Feliz is said to be playing a lead role and is a bl- and is believed to be playing a teen that Penguin befriends and makes his driver, though nothing official has been revealed. Me, I'm just happy to see we're moving forward with the Penguin series, since we haven't got too much news about it recently. Yeah, I agree 100%, Drew. I The casting news is whatever. The big thing that's exciting is that the project is still moving forward and really starting to kind of roll towards getting made, which is, I, I've been excited since they announced it. I really think this has the potential to be really, really good. So I am very eager to see more. All right. And for our last bit of DC news, the latest trailer for Superman and Lois season three debuts Clark's new fortress. And uh, I was happy to see that looks more like the classic fortress. Yeah, I saw, I think we just talked about this. I, I saw, I think, a shortened version of this trailer when I was watching The Flash this week that talked more about a potential character direction for Lois. But I, anything is better than what they did for The Fortress of Solitude. I mean, it was it was the most CW part of the show, I thought, where it was literally just an empty ice cave because that's clearly what they could afford. <laughs> I mean, it was nothing like it wasn't even I struggled to even like when they I know it's called the Fortress of Solitude and you have to call it that. But it was literally Drew. It was a cave. It was an empty cave. (laughs) Yep. And then his brother's version was an empty desert cave. And it was like this is so soulless. Like the Fortress of Solitude, like you said, it's a refuge for Superman to go to. It's like his second home. And it, it was not that. It was so far from that. Uh, so any, literally anything is an upgrade from that. If the, you know, if they're included in this upgraded fortress, I'm sure it's going to have lots of screen time this season. So I, I'm actually happy about that. It'll be uh, cool to see a better fortress. All right. Well, that wraps up our DC news for this week. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll do our comics talk. Tune in to The Con Guy Show. Con as in comic Con. We are Hollywood filmmakers and super fans who cover all the news of the con universe, including the films, the TV shows, the streaming series, the experiences, and the events that fuel your fandom. If you'd find it at Comic-Con, then you'll find it here. Now in our seventh year, The Con Guy Show is a proud member of the ESO Network. 
you know what now's a good time for? It's time for a promo for the Cosmic Pizza Podcast. The Cosmic Pizza Podcast, you say? Hmm, that sounds delicious. What is that? It's a delicious slice of life. In every episode? In every episode, where we talk about conspiracy theories, cartoons of our childhood, Star Trek quizzes, movies that we've liked, pod racing, general pop culture, fantasy recasts. But what we don't talk about is pizzas. Right here on the ESO Network. And we're back, but before we get into this week's comic books talk, we gotta let you know, there's gonna be spoilers. We got spoilers. 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 We got spoilers. For you. We got spoilers. 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 We've got spoilers. For you. For you. Alright, let's talk the human target number 11. Ice and her friend Fire had conspired to kill Luther. Since the beginning, Ice had been playing Christopher to throw him off. Last night, Christopher told Ice that he knew. When Christopher asked Ice what had happened and how it all came together, she replied she didn't feel like talking about it and went to bed. Christopher followed. Sometime in the night, Ice woke Christopher up and they made love. In the morning, Ice asked Christopher what he wanted to do with his last day. Christopher suggested they go to the beach because they had fun there before. Day 11. Ice and Christopher swim until the beach is out of sight. Ice creates a little island out of ice complete with a palm tree, umbrella, and a chair to lounge on. Ice tells Christopher how Overmaster controlled her and she was eventually killed. After Ice is brought back, Overmaster has already been defeated and is long gone. Years later, Ice learns that Luther was behind bringing Overmaster back to Earth. Ice decides she is going to kill Lex Luther. Ice wants to freeze Lex's heart. Fire begs Ice not to do it, but Ice has her mind set. Fire relents that if she can't stop Ice from killing Lex, at least figure a way to do it so she doesn't go to prison. Fire states she can't live without Ice. Their plan, of course, fails, and Christopher is poisoned instead of Lex. Fire and Ice decide Ice should keep an eye on Christopher and help him out with the investigation. Eventually, the investigation led to Fire confessing that Guy was the killer. With Guy presumed dead, the investigation should have been over, and they just needed to wait for Christopher to die. A few days after Christopher's death, Guy would reemerge. Then Fire and Ice would come up with a new and better way to kill Lex Luthor. After the story, Ice and Christopher sit for hours, not saying more than a few words to each other, but hold hands. When the sun starts to set, they decide to head home. Back at the car, Ice suddenly wrecks it with Ice. Ice states she is not sweet and nice. Ice states that all this time, Christopher has been looking for who did this so that he could punish them. Ice puts the gun in Christopher's hand and puts it to her head. Ice tells him to do it because she loves him. To be continued. Drew, one thing that I think personally speaks to the quality of writing on this book is that I wasn't, I don't think either of us were surprised that Ice is the one who's responsible for poisoning Chris. I feel like that's been the most likely answer, basically the entire comic. But despite the fact that that's like, you kind of know that that's what it is, it's still satisfying, right? I feel like the story, I was still fine with that reveal even though it wasn't a shocker because it was like, yeah, I mean that it's made sense the whole time. And I feel like the story has been, yes, who did it, 
in and how, but also really like how is Chris dealing with this, right? And how is he coping with these last days of his life? And I feel like this issue highlighted that well, where like he had he had known really from the beginning that Ice was probably the one that did it and kind of allowed himself to get away from that because he enjoyed her company so much, right? And has clearly developed feelings for her as as she has for him, right? She admits that she loves him at the end of the issue. Again, I just think that speaks to the quality of the writing because even though it, it doesn't hinge on the quality of the reveal, right? Like, it's not a shocking reveal. It, it, still, I, it still worked for me. It was like, yeah, that makes complete sense why she would do it. It's you know, a lot of the story has been pointing that she would do it, but that doesn't feel underwhelming. Like that felt like the right thing to happen. The big question behind the story now is what's Christopher going to do? He's not going to shoot her. <laughs> I mean, come I, on. I probably not, but the, the end of the issue definitely tries to sell you on the possibility that he might. Yeah. I, Tom King does not have me convinced of that. And uh, I don't think, until it actually happens, I'm not going to believe that's going to happen. I mean, he's in love with her. How can he shoot her? I I agree. I'm not saying, again, I, I don't, I do not think that she, she he is going to kill her. But the issue, the issue I thought did a pretty good, again, I think it does a good job of, of setting up. It's believable that he could, right? Again, I don't think he actually will, but it wouldn't be... I feel like the book has done enough legwork, Drew, that if he did, A, that would be a huge shock, but it also, it wouldn't feel out of place, I don't think. I feel like the book has done enough to show us that I could buy into Chris finally being like, you know what, I'm tired of taking all of this, like, here it goes. I still don't think it's going to be a happy ending, though, so it, no. it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it ends. Yeah, I... I agree. I think I will say, Drew. I feel like the fact that it the it was revealed for sure this issue that she's the one that effectively is the one that killed him. There's a better chance of a not miserable ending than I think there was before this one. Like if we get that reveal last issue, there's no way that goes well. Yeah, I agree with you. Again, I agree. I, I I just I cannot see this story having a happy ending, but I feel like there's a chance at a less bad ending than there was when we reviewed it last time. So, we'll see. I can't wait. I this it's been just a phenomenal book. I it's so good. I cannot wait to buy the collected version of this. I I absolutely adore this series. It's so so good. Yeah, it is. And I was surprised we got this issue so quickly from when we reviewed the last one. It's only been a few weeks. It wasn't even a whole month. See, I bet you didn't even realize that, did you? No. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, Blue Beetle Graduation Day number three. Batman pays a visit to Blue Beetle Ted Court. Batman wants to know what Ted has discovered about Dynasties. Ted explains that Dynasties' powers are different from Jaime's. She has super strength and heightened durability. She's basically a tank with legs. Blue Beetle, Jaime Reyes, and Starfire are flying over Palmyra City. Starfire states that she thinks Superman and Batman are wrong to have grounded Jaime. Starfire believes that Jaime and his scarab are the key to what's going on. Starfire states she is going to be Jaime's mentor. Court Industries. 
Victoria Court is interrogating Zamara Irazo, aka Dynasties. She is a Sal Salvadorian school teacher whose mission is now to kill Jaime. Starfire and Jaime are talking when suddenly a green beetle attacks Jaime. The green beetle seems to be able to stretch and shapeshift. The green beetle attacks Jaime with wing blade arms. Jaime smacks him down while Starfire, Starfire superheats the sand. It doesn't work. The green beetle gets big as if it is giganta. Starfire touches the green beetle and learns its history from a lost language. Centuries ago, the Reach found a deadlocked war with the people of Tamaran. The Reach were conquerors, but not united. Many Reach resisted this war, and others fled into the unknown. The Tamaranians helped these refugees escape. They were known as the Horizon. Without a homeworld and on the run, this people were the sworn enemy of the Reach. Starfire thinks she knows why the other beetles are here. These beetles are the advance guard hunting for Reach technology, trying to clear the way for the Horizon who are coming to Earth. Paco and Brenda call Jaime to tell them they are on their way to Palmyra City. Unbeknownst to Jaime, Paco and Brenda have been taken hostage. Drew, I, I have liked this series so far, and I'm interested in what, the, what they're trying to set up. I just feel like the pace of this is way too slow for a six issue miniseries. Like we're halfway through the story and uh, frankly, we're not like, there's no way that we have accomplished enough to be halfway through the plot. I agree with you. Cause not that much has happened yet. He's basically battled against two beetles and that's about it. I want to be clear that I think these issues are totally fine. The problem is grading them on the nature of what this comic is. If this wasn't ongoing, I would have, no complaints, Drew. I would think the pacing would be just fine if it was an ongoing. A little bit slow, but not a big deal because you're setting up a big run. You have, theoretically, an, you know, an unlimited amount of time. This isn't, it. This isn't that. This has six issues. That's all they get. And in that regard, it's not doing its job because they've only got three issues left. I don't, I don't see how they could possibly tell a complete story in the remaining three issues, Drew. I, and maybe they aren't. And I kind of, the longer this goes, the more that I think they aren't. And this is going to be leading into something else because there's just no way that there are three issues left that can completely wrap up whatever story is being told here. Which frustrates me, Drew, because when you tell me that you're writing a miniseries, fair or not, I'm expecting a contained story. And this doesn't, I'm not convinced that this, that's what this is. Yeah, I can't argue with you on that because it does feel like it does feel like it's leading up to something that should be epic. Which is fine, but I think the audience needs to know that to a certain degree. I don't need you to tell me how it's going to end or where it's going exactly, but if this is meant to be setting something else up, I feel like you need to tell the audience that because if you just say, hey, here's a Blue Beetle miniseries, I think most people are going to be expecting a nice self-contained Blue Beetle story. And and again, Drew, maybe that is what this is, but if that's the case, I can't imagine that it's going to end particularly well. And, and not in terms of like, well for the characters, but well as in good writing. We barely even have the setup for who these other Beatles are. We we sort of covered that ground this issue, Drew, but not sufficiently enough where I think that this is going to have a satisfying conclusion in three issues. So what I got from this issue was 
sounds like the Reach isn't even involved in this. It's this other group, the Horizon. It sounded like they were supposed to be the good guys to the bad guys' Reach, but it also sounded like maybe they're coming to invade Earth, too. I don't know. It was it was unclear. I agree, Drew. They came off like they were supposed to be resistance fighters, but like maybe they, you know aren't informed of of what blue beetle has become like his scarab is supposed to be a weapon but it's not or they know something that others don't that the scarab is going to flip again you know and Jaime's going to lose control i don't know and again if this was an ongoing all of that would be really interesting drew and i'd be 100 percent on board and like i still am i'm still very intrigued by the plot don't get me wrong i just there's only three issues left and if you if if they are trying to tell a contained story. I don't know how they're going to cram it in. If what I think they're going to do is leave it open because they're going to be like, to find out what happens next, pick up issue, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, and like, that's fine, but that's not what you told me I was getting into when I started this. Well, they didn't tell you anything. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean, Drew. I, there are times where they, they tell you, like, hey, this thing is meant to be a setup or a lead-in to this other, this other book. That's true. They do do that sometimes. I feel like this was clearly pitched as a Blue Beetle story, like a, its own Blue Beetle story. I really do. And I don't know why they called it Graduation Day. That graduation stuff was over a long time ago. <laughs> First issue. <laughs> I think it could have had a better name. Some part of me wonders if there was some change in plans of what was going to happen or what this book was going to look like or something, Drew, because I feel like I will admit, Drew, I was even confused when I saw the ads for this graduation. I thought it was setting up like a graphic novel, which theoretically, yes, I know when it's done, it will get collected into a trade, which is basically the same thing. But like I thought the ads that I saw in the comics that we were reading I thought we're pitching it like it was a full graphic novel. And again, that's my own misunderstanding, and I'll, I, I'm not going to blame the ad for that. But like, that's where I thought we were going. And so when we even read the first issue, I was like, oh, this is not what I was expecting. And now we're three issues in, and it feels like I'm reading an ongoing Blue Beetle title. It does, and uh, I don't, you know, I don't know. Like you said, we don't know where the story's going, if they're planning on doing something after this. It'll, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, Tim Drake, Robin number 5. Tim has Nightwing, Batwoman, and Sparrow helping him look for Bernard. Nightwing reports that there is nothing at the community college, and security footage has been wiped. Sparrow states that no one at the church has seen anything suspicious. Batwoman lets Tim know that Clayface is in his cell. Sparrow radios Robin and lets him know that she went back to the marina and found Bernard. When Tim arrives, Sparrow is missing. Bernard's arms are tied behind his back. Robin checks Bernard's pulse and he is still alive, just unconscious. Someone hits Robin from behind, knocking him unconscious. When Robin wakes up, he is hanging upside down. Bernard appears claiming he has been the villain this whole time. Robin knows better than that. Robin is able to free himself. Putting the clues together, Tim realizes that this is his landlord, James, that's behind this. Robin fights through more of the white disc monsters as James monologues revealing himself to be the villain, Moriarty. Moriarty states that if Tim doesn't accept his proposal to be his greatest nemesis, then Bernard and everything he loves will sink to the depths of the marina. To be continued. The more I read this title, Cletus, the more disappointed I am in it. Uh, I, yeah. 
Um, I agree completely. I Drew, I have to say, if I can't think of a greater condemnation of a book than when the villain revealed themselves to be one of the other Marina members. I was like, who? Drew, I legitimately don't remember this character ever being introduced. He was. I believe that it was. I know that he was. I don't remember him. <laughs> this is funny because last issue, <laughs> last issue, they introduced his landlord like at the beginning of the issue. And you pointed out the fact that the only reason they introduced this character was to be the villain. <laughs> so, oh, it's uh, the landlord? Yes. The they, landlord how do James. How not even describe him as such? So, yeah, okay. So, A, they, they clearly... Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my point stands. A, I, I, so, literally, it was last issue, and I already didn't remember. And, like we were saying last week, or, sorry, la last time we reviewed this... They, they clearly telegraphed where they were going with it. That was the only reason to pull, to show that character. And Good the, lord. It doesn't make any sense. Why would this landlord have a problem with Tim Drake? They have he no history. Have a, now, that's the thing. He doesn't have a problem with Tim Drake. He wants to have a problem with Tim Drake. He wants... He's got this complex, Drew, where he's he wants to essentially be a joker, right? He wants to be the world's greatest villain and in order to be the world's greatest villain he needs a great hero and needs a you know a nemesis and so he he is trying to actively make tim his nemesis that makes sense good plot point i'm not necessarily saying that but that is definitely what the story is trying to do so i agree drew he doesn't have a reason but that's that's the whole point is that he's trying to create a reason for them to have bad blood Okay, I guess I guess I could see somebody doing that, but uh, I don't know. This this is this title is just not that good. The artwork it, still sucks. <laughs> I will say they changed artists in the middle part of the story, and I didn't love their art, but but it I had an easier time following what was going on, which reinforces my point that I think the story has been greatly hindered by the artwork. And I, I, I personally think that this this artist's work can work in certain comics. I do. Tim Drake Robin is not one of them, and it is held back. It's not a good story, which I think is a mediocre story at best. But different artwork makes this story more comprehensible. Still doesn't make Bernard any more likable. <laughs> <sighs> all right, that's all I have to say about this issue. I can't believe I had already forgotten the landlord's name. Uh, no, that's the thing, Drew. I didn't even remember. I don't think I remembered the landlord's name when we even talked about it in the podcast. I just knew it was the landlord. I don't Yikes. know. If, <laughs> I don't remember if they revealed his name last time. Well, see, that again, but that's that makes it even worse than it already is. It's already bad. Yeah, that's true. And using Moriarty as his villain name come on dude you can't come up with something better than sherlock holmes villain <laughs> all right well let's move on to our next title for this week batman one bad day catwoman number one selena tells her cats to behave and heads out for the day selena pulls up her hoodie and slips into the crowd of protesters in a flashback sequence selena and her sister go to their mom to a pawn shop selena's mother needs to sell a family heirloom a brooch that is supposed to be worth a lot of money. The pawn shop owner tells Selena's mother that it is a fake. He gives her $200 for it. Selena's mother must accept the money because she needs to pay her rent. 
Back in the present, Selena slips away from the protesters and into an alley. Selena changes into her Catwoman outfit. Selena takes on some guards, crawls through an air shaft, and reappears in the exhibit wearing an evening dress. Staring into a display case, Selena spies the brooch her mom sold to a pawn shop owner years ago. An older woman approaches Selena and introduces herself as Vivian Page, one of the curators at the auction house. Vivian tells Selena the history of the brooch and how it was a symbol of when France was liberated from the Nazis. As Selena is leaving the exhibit, she spots Bruce Wayne from across the room. Bruce holds up his glass of wine and smirks at Selena. Selena ducks out through the door that is marked staff only. Selena ducks into a closet, changes into a caterer outfit, and then proceeds into the wrong room where she clumsily, on purpose, knocks over a table full of jewelry ready to go into the auction room. Later, after returning home with the brooch she just stole, Selena calls her sister Maggie to tell her the good news that she recovered the brooch. Maggie is less than thrilled. Catwoman takes the brooch to get an independent evaluation so that she can fence it. Catwoman learns that it really is a fake. Catwoman is pissed. Selena remembers something that the curator, Vivian, stated about the setting of the brooch and realizes that Vivian knew it was a fake. When Selena tries to track down Vivian, Selena learns it was an alias. Returning to the auction house, Catwoman finds Vivian and follows her home. Batman shows up and tells Catwoman to stay away from Vivian because she is dangerous. Batman is building a case against her and plans to take her down in a few days. Catwoman goes after Vivian anyways and learns that Vivian is really a villain calling herself the Forgerer. The Forgerer escapes. Batman shows up and states that he, that he won't tell Selina, I told you so, but he is thinking it. Batman invites Selina to come over that night. Selina calls her sister and apologizes. They make plans to have coffee. The end. Drew, I like this comic a lot. I This one interests me in that, I will admit, it's unclear, and I'm not saying it is actively current in the story, but this feels like this is maybe not out of continuity like the other ones. Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. This story felt like it could be in the regular series. You know what I mean? Yeah, again, I, I know right now at the moment, you know, she's in jail and all that's going on. So I'm not, I'm not saying, and I know you're not disagreeing with me, Drew, but to be our, our listeners, to be clear, I know it's not actively current with the story, but it feels like, you know, like give it, give a couple months <laughs> or so, either way with the current Catwoman title that this story could be happening. And it's left so open, especially with the forger. I... I kind of feel like we're going to see that character again. I th- That was, it almost made me wonder, Drew, if they're planning on having Wilson take over Catwoman at some point, which I'd be pretty cool with. Yeah, I mean, the story was really good. I I really enjoyed it. I liked their interpretation of One Bad Day, where it was effectively, it was the day her mom had to try to make rent with something she got scammed on. <laughs> again, Williamson. Um, <laughs> again, I think again it, a totally different interpretation of one bad day, but that's what I've liked about this series, Drew, is seeing different people's interpretation of how to do that and how to build a story around that. And I liked this interpretation. It understood the assignment, <clears throat> Williamson. Um, but <laughs> 
it did it in its own way. And uh, the artwork, McKelvey getting doing the art on this was phenomenal. I really like his work on Wicked and Divine is an image series about these like reincarnated gods that effectively become rock stars. And it goes from there. But like his art on that is phenomenal. And the writing is also really good. But when I saw that he was the artist on this and you had G. Willow Wilson writing it, I was like, oh, this book's going to be good. And uh, it did not disappoint. I mean, it was just, I think he's a great artist for Catwoman. I think Wilson has proven time and again what a great writer she is for female characters. Drew, I would really, really love if this was a uh, the creative team on the Catwoman book. It would be expensive, I'm sure, but... <laughs> It would produce a very good book. I agree. I love the villain, the forger in this. He was a great villain. The interactions with Batman in this was good too. I thought sometimes when Batman comes into a book, he can kind of, you know, kind of overshadow what's going on. But, uh, the, the way she used Batman in this, I thought it was really good too. So I, I really enjoyed it. I would love to see this creative team on the regular Catwoman title. Agreed. And I and just to echo what you were saying, Drew, I thought they did a great job of Batman being involved because he's been involved in all these stories. But it, it was Catwoman's story, right? And it and it and in his involvement made sense within keeping the focus on Catwoman, but also, you know, involving him in a way that was satisfying because with especially with those two characters, especially out of any of these villains that have gotten the book, like you got to do something interesting with them. And I thought she did, Wilson did a great job incorporating him into the plot in a way that was logical, satisfying, and yet not taking the spotlight. Exactly. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week. Justice Society of America, number two. Huntress Helena Wayne, daughter of Batman, wakes up in an infirmary. She has somehow been transported to November 1940. When she walks into the other room, she is greeted by the original Justice Society of America. Huntress explains that she is a member of the Justice Society in the future, and her team has been murdered. Huntress came back in time to recruit Dr. Fate in helping save them. Dr. Fate, Kent Nelson, tries to peer into Huntress's timeline and is suddenly in Slaughter Swamp in Gotham. Salem the Witch Girl, his protege, explains that it is January 13, 1941. They are searching for Mr. Miracle and his Justice Society Dark, who might be able to free her from a curse. Dr. Fate and Salem find Mr. Miracle fighting Solomon Grundy. When Mr. Miracle handcuffs Grundy, Dr. Fate is transported from 1941 back to November 1940. In the future, Catwoman realizes that the stranger that Helena kept seeing her entire life is Dagaton. Dagaton can't finish his ritual without killing Helena. Dagaton demands to know where Selena sent her daughter. Suddenly, Helena is transported again. This time, Helena is in an alleyway with Dr. Fate, Khalid Nassour, Dead Man, and Detective Chimp. Drew, I really liked the reveal that it was Degaton. I feel like you could he was a pretty likely candidate for who this was. He is a, a big time travel villain. I think he's a favorite of Jeff Johns. I can't I won't swear on that, but I swear that he's enjoyed trying to use that character and incorporate that character in other things before too. I like it. I like it a lot. 
And this issue was, again, it's really interesting to try to see this story and mystery that Johns is trying to tease and set up. We get the second reference in as many weeks to Jay Garrick's new daughter. So <laughs> in case we had any doubts about Jeff Johns really trying to make that one stick. The only thing, again, Drew, I it, it's, a, it's a to be clear, it's a minor nitpick. I really liked this comic. I do worry at the number of characters, just like I said with the last one, that it, that Johns may or may not be trying to juggle. It's a lot. There are so many spinning plates that he's got right now that he's trying to, like, all juggle. Yeah, I won't disagree with you on that. And uh, I, I really enjoyed this story, too. There's quite a bit of jumping around in it, but I didn't find it too hard to follow. And... uh pretty interesting i'm uh, excited to see where this is going i loved the two-page spread where you have fate getting thrown through time and hit his path and his body form like part of the barrier of the comic panels that splits the page in two horizontally that was super cool. I, I love those sorts of tiny little details in comics where, like, they make the artwork part of what separates the art. I, that was super cool. Yeah, totally agree. This oh. is really good. I this, So far, this has been my favorite thing that Johns has done with this whole big JSA world and conspiracy thing that he's been doing. This book has been my favorite, in large part because it's got, I think, some of the best art on it, too. I like. I, I really am most intrigued by this story, Drew, and I'm very excited to get more of it. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, Catwoman number 51. Gotham County Corrections at 6 a.m. Selina and her cellmate, Mimi, get a visit from the corrections officers who find a book under Selina's mattress. There is no GCC library tag, so it is considered contraband. This is a shot on Selina's record. Selena eats breakfast. At 8 a.m., there's a head count. At 8.30 a.m., it is open time. Inmates may shower, use the payphones, or report to their morning work privileges. There is a mad rush to the payphone. Selena fights her way to the front of the line. Selena calls Dario and leaves him a cryptic message to tell the new cat that she needs to be paid in the exchange rate. Selena will signal when she is ready for the delivery. Catwoman, Eco, and Tomcat steal the commissary truck by bribing the driver $2,500 before it arrives at the prison. The driver reports that it got carjacked. Hoops confronts Selena about stealing her phone time. Hoops tells Selena that the girls are loyal to her and lets them beat up on Selena. Marquise, another prisoner who is mopping the floor, threatens to give the women wet socks. Hoops and the other women leave. Selena tells Marquise that she doesn't need her help. She has a plan. Selena checks out an older book from the prison library. It has a laser pointer that Selena stashed in it from a different stay in, at the prison. Selena sneaks up into the ceiling and signals Eco and Dario through a vent that it is time for a, the delivery. The corrections officers find Selena in the ceiling and she is put into solitary confinement. Duchess the cat visits Selena in solitary. Duchess delivers the goods from Eco and Dario. Selena sends a note to Hoop stating she doesn't expect different treatment, but knows how things get settled and how debts are paid. Selena has a pile of food and stuff for the ladies. Selena lets Marquise know that she doesn't like people talking about her behind her back. Selena knows Marquise was feeding Hoop's info. 
Selena is called to the guard station because of an emergency visitor. At first, Selena thinks it's Bruce because he'd be able to get through all the red tape. It's not. It's Selena's legal counsel, Ventura Fremont. Selena tries to reject counsel, but Ventura states it's not about Selena. It's about the truth. Drew, I really just... The premise of this current arc just has lost me. Like, they lost me last issue, and this did not help bring me back on board. It's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with this issue. It is not a bad comic. It's not doing anything necessarily wrong, but I just... I'm not fully clear like i still don't totally understand why everything is happening the way that it's happening drew i i know that we're told that catwoman killed the i've already forget his name but the thief they that she killed him Valmont. but like yeah but she's killed people before like why is this time is she fully serving her punishment for this well it's not actually a punishment yet i mean Technically, it's a punishment. She has not gone to trial for this. She hasn't been convicted of it yet. That she's already in jail. She's being held in jail. Yes. She's being held in jail. I'm guessing she can't make bail because she'd be out already if she could. So I'm guessing they're holding her without bail. Otherwise, why would she be in prison? I'm sure Bruce would take care of the bail. (laughs) No questions asked. And uh, it's obviously not the case. They, for whatever reason... The writer wants to do a prison story, and uh, that's where we're, that's what we're getting. Me personally, I thought the prison story was interesting. I don't know why they want to keep her in there, or what the purpose of her being in prison is. If it's going to have to do something with a future story they want to tell, but you know, I found it interesting, and maybe that's because this was what not what I was expecting from the creative team when I saw what the next a preview or something of. Or maybe it was a little description blurb I saw about what this issue was supposed to be. This wasn't it. I thought they were going in a new direction. And uh, I was surprised that they were keeping going with what they were doing. So I guess my expectation was lower than what this issue ended up being. I I have nothing really else to add, Drew. I just, I'm not really in on this story. (laughs) It's it's not bad. It is absolutely not bad. But it, uh... It exists. I don't know. I <laughs> it exists. <laughs> I, it just, I, I, this current run of Catwoman kind of lost me on the Euro trip where Dario was still locked in the trunk of a car and everything was fine. I, I guess like I feel like they jumped the shark there a little bit, Drew, and I've not we've not gotten back down to the water. I don't know what else to put it. I can't disagree with you on that. Uh, we've had some silly stuff like Tomcat. The Tomcat so dumb. And the other, the other thing that doesn't make sense, because I'm, I'm going to, let's jump back a few issues, where that whole thing went down with Valmont and Batman and stuff. It felt like they were trying to wrap up the story, but we still have the same creative team on here, and it doesn't, it doesn't make sense what they did. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's move on to our next title for this week. Action Comics 1051. The first story was called Speeding Bullets Part 1. At the home of the Kents, the super family has gathered to eat and play games. Lois and Clark announce that they are adopting the young Philogians, Otha Ra and Osol Ra. 
The next day, the Super family shows up for the opening of the Steelworks Tower, which is now the tallest building in Metropolis. Connor Kent notices a disturbance in the building and checks it out. An explosion comes from the new Steelworks Tower. The Super family springs into action to save the crowd from falling debris. Superman rushes into the tower to find Metallo holding an unconscious Connor Kent. The second story was called Home Again, Part 1. Several years ago, Lois and Clark moved back into their old house and farm in California, the place they lived in after John was first born. Meanwhile at Star Labs in Metropolis, Lloyd Creighton, a construction worker who mutated into a doomsday creature known as Doombreaker, has disappeared after Superman brought in the comatose man. Later that night, after Lois checks on John to make sure he's asleep, John sneaks out of his bedroom and flies to his treehouse. Inside, John opens his backpack to check out the doomsday fragment he found during the Doombreaker incident. When John spies a mysterious light outside his treehouse, he hides the doomsday fragment. John flies out to check on the spacecraft that landed nearby. A woman exits the craft and asks John to take her to his king. The last story we had was called Head Like a Hole Part 1. Power Girl and Omen decide to start up a therapy practice together to use their psychic abilities to help superheroes heal. Nightwing brings in their first client, Beast Boy. Garfield has been stuck as a calf for weeks and hasn't spoken since. It happened soon after Deathstroke shot him in the head, after the crisis had ended. The Titans thought he was fine until this happened. Omen talks to Garfield while Power Girl goes into Garfield's mind. Power Girl is attacked by a red bear, a red pterodactyl, a red dragon, and then a red bull. Power Girl discovers that the genetic code linking Beast Boy to the red may have gotten mixed up when he was shot. Omen suggests that Power Girl quit fighting the red animals and submit. The red bull turns into a baby. Power Girl picks up the baby and flies it to a red tree. At the red tree, Power Girl fixes the broken code. Garfield is able to transform himself back into himself. To be continued. Drew, the, uh, the scene where Jonathan accidentally <laughs> discovers the closet contents just cracked me up. That was so <laughs> I like that they're incorporating the twins as adopted kids for uh, for Clark and Lois because I really think the comics moved far too quickly from John being a kid, which thanks Bendis. <laughs> so I like giving them kids again. I also like the the hint of jealousy. I don't know if jealousy is quite the right word. Maybe like. It's not. It's not jealous in that he wants. To, I think he's jealous of the lost childhood that he has. Right in that scene. Yeah, I agree with you. It's. I mean, you got to think about it. He was. He was basically a prisoner and tortured for years. He lost. He lost his childhood with his parents. He lost a lot of time with his parents, and uh, I'm sure he wishes he could go back and get that time back. And, uh, you know, them adopting two kids, I'm sure he didn't, He has no problem with it, but there's something he lost there, and I'm sure he wants that time back. And they kind of showed us that, a hint of that right there. I'm very curious to get more of that, the main action comic story. I'm, I'm interested with Metallo, with what Lex is up to, with the twins. All of that, Drew, I, I really like this super family story that they're telling. 
The first backup with Jonathan, I, I like that they're doing it, Drew, because again, I feel like we were I really genuinely and we said this we said this when it happened. I thought DC made a huge mistake aging John up. And I maintain that. I like the character a lot. I liked him a lot as Superboy. And he works as, as a Superman, right? That was what we're essentially getting to see what he would be as a legacy character in real time. So, like, I don't dislike the adult version of Jonathan. I think he's also a good character. But I just like Clark and Lois having a kid. And John was a really cool child character. Uh, and I think DC made a mistake aging him up. He, they, I just think they did. And so doing a story where we kind of get to go back in time and get a little bit more of that is good. I will admit the story had me a little bit lost. I wasn't completely following. And then the Power Girl one, Drew, I, again, I said it last time. I totally get what they're trying. I know that they're trying to help differentiate Supergirl and Power Girl because you got to do something other than the boob window. So I get what they're doing. And it was interesting i just i just don't know that it's gonna stick i feel like that's the thing like i just i'm gonna have to see it to believe it that what they're trying to do is gonna stick yeah i i agree with you there they are gonna have to do something to make it stick i don't think opening up a therapy practice is gonna cut it (laughs) i mean it's it's not i mean this story was okay but it's it's not gonna hold my interest to keep doing therapy practice stuff they're gonna to have to go out into the superhero world and do some stuff so i will have to see where that goes going back to the young john kent story i like going back to that time period too and i'm hoping we get some stories with the super sons so i, I love the super sons love the uh, interactions with damien and you know even bringing in batman so It'll be fun if we can see some more actions with that. So, interesting. And, of course, this with the action, comp- action comics focusing on different Superman family stories, you know, we can rotate different characters into this. We don't have to just poke, focus on Power Girl. We can have some Supergirl stories. We can have some Kong Keenan stories, the Superman of China and stuff. So there's a lot of stories that can rotate through this book. So I hope it goes on for quite a while. Theoretically, it should, right? Of all, <laughs> action comics should be pretty safe. <laughs> yes, action comics will be safe. Whether they keep having multiple stories in it remains to be seen. Because you know how like, things go on for a year or two and they like to switch them up. So. That is so true. I, I will say, Drew, I think has a decent chance of doing this because we know where... DC's at right now budget wise and a good way to save money is to consolidate books and I'm sure they would also like to charge more for comics and you can charge more if you make them a little bigger so yep (laughs) I I feel I think it's it's reasonable that some version of this is going to keep going for a while Drew I just I think that's where we're at with single issue comics right now yeah, I won't disagree with you on that. And I like it. I mean, this is comics historically were like this, right? If you go back and read Action Comics, Superman's first appearance, it ain't just Superman, right? It's not a twenty issue, twenty page issue. It's huge. Action Comics is huge. You got a Zatara story that's in there. You got a couple other, like you know what I mean, Drew? Or like Detective Comics ain't just the Batman story. 
this is a long history of comics being like that, and I think it makes sense to kind of go back to its roots in a sense in that that's what the market is dictating. Like, if you want to entice people to actually buy a single issue, you got to make it more worth their dollars. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could tell you just from doing um, Earth Station DCU Classics and going back to some of the older comics, there's a lot of them that have more than one um, story in it. Like uh, we did on the last Earth Station DC DC Classics, um, we did a, what was it? It was a, I can't remember. It was a Batman title or Detective Comics. I can't remember. But anyways, there was a Batman main story in it, and then it had a Robin backup. And we also reviewed a Supergirl title, and it had a Super Supergirl story in it, and then a Zantana backup. So DC used to do this a lot in the past. So it's not, I don't think it's unusual for them to start doing it again. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, Detective Comics 1068. Harvey Dent watches as people are being taken down in the old abandoned subway tunnels and are sorted. The healthy from the infirm, the young from the old, men, women, and children. They are tethering them to the asthma, turning the forgotten voices of Gotham into an army. Batman jumps from the Batwing. Batman finds a truck with boys tied up with rope and duct tape over their mouths. The werewolf attacks Batman. As they battle, the werewolf screams at Batman. Batman informs the werewolf that his suit has been infused with nano-silver. The werewolf is afflicted by a long, extinct blood mutation that is subdued by silver. Next, Batman is attacked by a villain named Dark Blood, the Flesh Crafter. The villain has six arms. Dark Blood breaks Batman's ribs and fills his blood with a paralytic. Batman falls to the ground helpless. After arguing with Two-Face, Harvey flips a coin and loses. Harvey then relinquishes control to Two-Face so Batman can be saved. Harvey reveals to Two-Face that Batman is really Bruce Wayne. A few minutes later, Batman miraculously gets up. The werewolf, who has reverted back to human form with a wolf mask on, stabs Batman in the side. Two-Face shoots the werewolf and grabs the unconscious Batman. Two-Face takes Batman to Dr. Joy, only to find out that she is missing. Instead, Two-Face finds a masked man with eyes on his fingertips. To be continued. I found it really interesting how relevant the backups we've been reading in this title have been in this main story, especially in this one we just read this week. Yeah, Drew, I think it's one of my favorite things that we've we've been getting out of this book as a whole so far under Ron V's tenure is the side stories are meaningful. Like you should, they've been, I think, inconsistent in quality, but they're important. They're not throwaway. They're not just filling up the book. Like they are being used to their fullest potential to help tell something that's going to be relevant to the story, but wouldn't make sense in the main book, right? You'd have to be taking too much time out of the main story. And so you develop and flesh them out on the side, and then you bring them into the main story, and you have that information, right? They've done the legwork. You're like, oh, this makes sense. I get why we're at where we're at with this character. And then you go back and get more side information. I think it's, frankly, it's the best way to be doing this format. Yeah, agreed. We also had a backup in this. Uh, Jim Gordon and the kid are researching, trying to figure out who actually owns the Arkham plot. 
The kid notices a shine in the book's binding. Jim finds a hidden envelope. The kid hears a tune. The kid rips off his shirt and jumps out the window. The kid follows the tune from person to person until he gets to Batman. When the kid hears Batman's tune, the kid freaks out. Jim shows up telling Batman not to hurt the kid. Jim tells Batman to go away. The kid tells Jim that he nearly tracked the living melody to its lair. The kid is curious why the living melody is spying on Jim. The document Jim found is a list of 13 children. The kid's name is on it. Project Magpie 1880. End. So basically what the backup is telling us that there could be more kids like this kid out there. Yes, and at the very minimum, we're at least going to get more details on what's up with this kid. If he may, I think there's a chance, Drew, he's the only successful patient of this. That wouldn't shock me. I, it, it, I'm not saying it's necessarily the case, but it wouldn't shock me if that was the case. But I'm excited to get more details on him because he's a really interesting, if not very confusing character. So I like that we're spending more time with him and Jim. I like this story and I'm excited to get more information on him because I will admit that I've like as much as I've enjoyed experiencing this story with him and Jim overall from what we've gotten in their previous backup and then briefly appearing in the main story is it's confused me quite a bit. <laughs> I'm excited to get a little bit more clarification and understanding, I guess is the better. The kid's ability to follow this tune or whatever, it's going to have some sort of relevance in the story because we've seen, we've seen music hinted at something affecting things in the background throughout the story in the main story and we we even saw batman find that music box or whatever it was at the beginning of this story or this arc and it'll be interesting to see how that plays in with this kid i, I have a feeling this kid is going to be very important to helping save batman or helping batman accomplish stopping these guys all right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, Lazarus Planet, We Once Were God's Number One. Our first story is Hunger Pains. A family comes across a naked man and brings him back to their house. When the man wakes up, he breaks through the straps. The dad hits the naked man with the butt of his rifle. The naked man bites him in the arm. Next, the naked man grabs the family dog and jumps out the window. The father chases after the naked man and the dog until they run into Aquaman. Aquaman tells the father... That like you, the naked man only wants to protect and feed his family. The volcano eruption has changed the world, dragging them out from the trenches. To be continued in Dawn of DC. Our next story is called Songs of Pain. Raphael Arsh became empowered by the Lazarus Rains and gained the ability to take on other people's pain. Raphael has helped 327 people so far, but it has taken a toll. Raphael falls down at Superman's statue as he begins to transform into a Doomsday monster. Raphael has tapped into the memory of Doomsday. Doomsday was the most adaptive creature ever designed. Martian Manhunter realizes that even a memory is enough for Doomsday to reproduce from. Martian Manhunter takes the memory of Doomsday from Raphael. Martian Manhunter is now infected. When Raphael realizes what is going on, Raphael takes back the memory from Martian Manhunter. This time, Raphael is transformed into a crushed-down psychic gem. Martian Manhunter mourns Raphael in orbit around Earth and then is joined by Superman. End. Next, we had Song of the Dead. Diana and Bea are sparring on the beach 
in Themyscira. When Bea falls into the water, she is covered in green slime. Diana suggests that something foul has washed up from the mainland. As Diana is talking, Bea has been snatched by something underneath the water. Diana dives into the water to discover it's the army of Heracles. Theseus tells Diana that the war dead do not sleep. Diana rescues Bea and flies her to land. The army of the dead attack Diana and Bea on the beach. Queen Nubia and the Amazons arrived and the zombies are defeated. Queen Nubia explains that Megala has seen Doom's doorway is under attack and that the door of Hades is, has been flung open. To be continued in Lazarus' planet, Revenge of the Gods. Our final story is called The Price of Eternity. Shazam Mary goes to Washington, D.C. looking for Black Adam. Instead, Mary finds Malik who states he is the heir of Black Adam and has powers. The magic bunny Hoppy explains that the Lazarus reign has broken spells, curses, or bindings, and they plan on rescuing Billy from the Rock of Eternity. When Mary and Malik find Billy, he is like a ghost. Billy tells them to leave. He still hasn't captured all the escaped prisoners and the rock has grown stronger. No one with their powers can escape the rock. Mary realizes that they are just illusions, that the real Billy is trapped at the heart of the rock. Hoppy indicates the correct direction. When Mary finds Billy, Billy is upset that they did not leave. Suddenly, Billy gets the idea to absorb the rock of eternity inside of himself. Billy is free and they all return to Earth. Elsewhere, the wizard Shazam is pissed that Billy's actions have severed his connection to the Rock of Eternity and locked him out of his seat of power. The wizard realizes that sharing the magic of Shazam has only led to ruin. The wizard Shazam vows to reclaim the powers and put Billy in his proper place below him and the gods. To be continued in Lazarus' planet, Revenge of the Gods. What are we doing here, Cletus? Why were we making the wizard Shazam the villain? Well, I will say, Drew, he's got the green eyes, so he's clearly infected by whatever this Lazarus stuff is that's going on. It's not its not a clear-thinking wizard. Okay, I guess that makes sense. I don't, I don't love that either way, Drew, but I can at least excuse it because it's not, you know what I mean? It's not a completely in-his-right-mind um, wizard. I drew. I didn't really like a lot of these. I, I, I'm. I was sort of intrigued by making the trench human-like instead of the monster twisted monsters that they are normally. That was kind of interesting. But a lot of this drew is just like we're introducing what seems to be like they want these to be status quos for a while, right? At least I would say year-long problems or stories to deal with for some of these characters. And my question is, why? I, uh, I don't really care if I I will say the Wonder Woman one, probably not. Right. That's probably going to get resolved within Lazarus Planet. But some of these other ones, like I feel like the Aquaman one, for example, Drew, I feel like that's one that they're trying to set up for a more long term issue. I don't see how that one gets resolved quickly. Yeah, I don't either. I, I don't remember. Are they introducing a new Aquaman title? I, I don't know. I mean, it, he's never going to go away that long. But I don't know, Drew. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I just, we're two books into this weird Lazarus Planet thing. And I feel like this is kind of what, Drew, my kind of problem with, with this event as a whole is that it's not, it's not really been clear what exactly they're doing this whole time. And I think there is probably a central story. That's probably Wade's story. But 
it feels a lot more like a scattershot. This general thing is happening, and here's all of these other things that are happening because of this general vague thing. And it's just like not so much an event as more of just like a general cloud of mess for a couple months, right? <laughs> DC's all dealing with in their own way. I don't love it, Drew. I am not convinced that this is what DC needed right now. I know I there's a lot normally that I really like that Wade does, and I know that he didn't explicitly write these issue, these issues that we've read for the side stuff, but like this is not what they needed. It just isn't. This is not what DC needed right now. Coming out of Dark Crisis, which I thought was a very poorly organized event in and of its own, right? It just it was too vague. The, the comic itself, Dark Crisis, we talked about, it, I would struggle to tell you what the lasting legacy of that, of that crisis is going to be. It's probably Evil Deathstroke, and I don't, just don't see how that's going to age well. And then transitioning immediately into this Lazarus planet, Drew, I, I just don't know what we're doing. I, I really think DC needs to to calm down. Frankly, they need to and just tell some write some comics for a while. Just write some damn comics and get out of this event crap. Totally agree. I know when I read this issue, I was like, ugh, this was a waste of my time. <laughs> it is because all both both of these side things that we've read, Drew, for the most part, have been set up with no resolution, and it's unclear where that resolution is going to come. Is it coming within Lazarus Planet? I don't know. Like some of them, like the Themyscira one, Drew, I, I'm almost certainly is going to be resolved within Lazarus Planet, right? Because Wonder Woman is clearly doing its own thing in its own book. But some of these other ones, I don't know. Am I going to read it in the main Lazarus Planet title? What is the main Lazarus Planet title? I it just everything is just all over the map. And where am I supposed to read this? How important is this story I'm reading actually supposed to be? I don't know. I, it's unclear, Drew, because they keep they're like supposed to be relaunching the DC universe. And instead of doing that, right, Dark Crisis was supposed to not not like New 52 relaunch. Right. But like as most crises do sort of hit like a reset button and sort of be like a soft reset of like, hey, we're going to recollect ourselves, have a new sort of mission statement, and these are the stories that are going to come out of that. And instead of doing that, we went right into this, and then coming out of this, we're going to get into new stuff. And it's just like, what do you do? You can't do that. Readers have had no time to catch their breath. What is actually happening, and what's going to actually matter in a couple months? Because I get the strong feeling, Drew, a lot of this isn't going to matter. A lot of this is, is useless filler and crap that DC has no intention of following up on. And that's the problem is when you make it hard for the readers to sift through what's actually interesting and important and what is just, you know, uninteresting, unimportant and poorly written, a lot of people are going to choose to just not read them and not buy them. Agreed. And when... The two, like the two of us who read this stuff every week and review it and stuff, we don't even know what's going on. What about the average reader? It's not getting all these titles and stuff. It's just it's not, gonna, yeah, it's not reader friendly at all. What do I even read? I know they give this checklist at the end, but Drew, I don't know what universe they live in where they think most people go and buy the whole checklist 
Obviously, we do because that's our job is to review this stuff. But most people are going to just read the stuff that has the characters they're interested in. But the way that this has been organized, the way that Dark Crisis was, and honestly, a lot of death metal, where they're like, they sort of imply that you should be reading all of it, but a lot of it's not very good. Again, it's sort of like you keep putting your hand out and be like, gimme. And eventually, less and less people are going to oblige. They're going to be like, I'm good. I'll just wait until you actually tell a story I want to read. Yeah, totally true. All right, well, that wraps up our comic books talk for this week. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk to Flash. You know what's amazing? Walking into your favorite bar or coffee shop and running into an author you absolutely love. Or bumping into an author you've never heard of before, but find your new favorite book. That's what we do on Drinking With Authors. You get to hear all the stories of what made the author's stories great and how they got there on their journey. So grab a drink and join us on Drinking With Authors. Welcome to Earth Station Trek, a show that talks about Star Trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. We cover topics like Star Trek versus reality. Did the board get better or worse? Finding the good in bad episodes. Pop culture in Trek. Star Trek pets. Vulcan romance. Religion in Trek. Umox for fun and pleasure. Kirk versus Picard and why Cisco is better. Plus reviews of all the latest episodes. Check us out on your favorite podcast platform or the ESO Network. And we're back. Let's talk The Flash, Season 9, Episode 2, Hear No Evil. Mark tells Team Flash that this is not Caitlyn or Frost. She's calling herself Snow, and she's a brand new person. Caitlyn is dead, and Mark has a plan for bringing her back. At the Krakatoa Club, Hartley Rathaway, the Pied Piper, is attacked by the Fiddler. The Fiddler wants something that Hartley has. Hartley flies away. The Fiddler tells Hartley's boyfriend that she will be back and teleports away. At Star Labs, Team Flash enacts their plan to bring back Caitlyn. Something goes wrong and the team learns that Mark was trying to bring back Frost also. An alarm goes off. The Star Labs med lab has been breached. It's Hartley. He needs a doctor. Barry slaps on a device that temporarily takes care of the issue. Barry learns from Thomas Snow's research that they can only bring back Caitlyn or Frost not both. After a team vote and much drama, it is decided that Snow can decide who she wants to be. The Fiddler returns to Krakatoa Club to draw out Hartley. The Flash shows up and uses lightning against the Fiddler, breaking her fiddle. The Fiddler uses some sort of sonic scream on them. Hartley zaps the Fiddler with his upgraded gauntlets. The Flash shows Hartley that his boyfriend and employees are not dead, yet stuck in a vibrational state. Hartley frees them with his gauntlet. Before Flash can take the Fiddler to jail, Captain Boomerang shows up. Captain Boomerang hits Flash with his boomerang that makes him disoriented. The Fiddler and Captain Boomerang teleport away, taking Hartley's gauntlets with them. Snow tells Mark that she has decided not to go back into the CRC. She has decided to be her own person and choose her own path. Snow takes on the name Snow takes on the name Coyone, a name her father had wanted. Hartley shows up and destroys the CRC, stating he is helping a new friend. Mark is pissed. Mark states the next time he sees Hartley, he is taking him down. Team Flash goes to the Krakatoa Club for some drinks and dancing. Back at their secret lair, 
Captain Boomerang uses Hartley's gauntlets to stabilize Red Death's vibrational frequency. Red Death runs into the city, states that there will be justice against Central City and the Flash. Okay, Cletus, I got a question for you. How can you just, by seeing a Caitlyn with blue hair, know that that's not Caitlyn? I don't know how many times the show told us, oh, that's somebody new, that's not Caitlyn or Frost. How would you know that without even speaking with that person? Uh, yeah, I think it was the show basically just asking us to believe them. But the problem is that the show has not earned that sort of trust. Like, they've burned that bridge. I think with me and with a lot of viewers. Like, <laughs> when you do a bunch of silly crap over and over again, eventually I'm going to get sick of it and start calling you out on it. So, I agree with you, Drew. My biggest complaint with this episode is I am outraged that they didn't call her Freightland. Drew, I was just... I was the whole time, they're like... I. It was so stupid because they kept every character, anytime any character came into the room, like, wait, who are you? I'm like, you guys just covered this. I know I know, plot-wise that character doesn't know it, but the audience is watching the whole time. Drew, it's like they forget it's a TV show, and like the audience doesn't need to be told three times in a row that it's not Caitlyn, it's Freightlyn. <laughs> I'm outraged, Drew, that they didn't call her Freightlyn. What a missed opportunity. I, so, Drew, I have a question for you, because what they were so on their, like, classic CW stump speech for this new character whose name is what again? I think it's Kayone, Kayone or something like that. So they picked such a weird, hard-to-remember name. Why? I'm not sure. Snow worked. I don't know why they didn't just go with Snow. They picked like the weirdest, like it was Drew. The name they picked felt like when you ask a five year old what their imaginary friend's name is, and they, you know what I mean? And they just pull something out of their butt. Like that's what that name felt like. <laughs> <laughs> but, like what that, like anyway, anyway, I don't, I really don't care. But they were so like they were so adamant and like stump speeching and being like this is the right like you got to do this this and this and like what are they who are they preaching to no one in the real world has any moral qualms about what do you do if you have two people and genetically zip them into one and then you have to unzip them back into two people it's not a thing i like, you don't need to convince me what the morally correct thing is to do it doesn't matter it's fake <laughs> And so I was sitting, I was like, this, this guy it clearly has to be an allegory for something. And the only thing I can think of potentially, Drew, is that it was a very loose trans allegory where you're talking about accepting someone's identity no matter what. And I'm like, okay, I get that. But like, couldn't you just do that story? Like they did, they literally had done that story with the dreamer character. I just have no, I'm not saying that that's right, Drew. I just, that's the only thing I could think of because they seemed very, very adamant that they were making a real world moral argument. And I was like, what do you, none of this matter. It doesn't, this isn't real. I, I, Drew, I'm not going to go next week and be like, I really don't think that you should unzip that person's DNA and and, and then decide which person gets to be the real person. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't matter. You're right on that. It, they wasted a lot of this episode on that issue. 
but but again, Drew, it was the it was the level of moral outrage and like they it really it was exactly like a lot of the other stump speech stuff that they've done. Except the issue wasn't clear. I was like, I don't understand. I, I I agreed generally with the points that they were making that it should be Freightland's decision to do that, right? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I agree. And whatever she decides, the other characters should be okay with. Sure, I also agree with that, Drew. That's fine. I, who needed convincing of that audience-wise, right? Because they focused on it too much to be. Because they were essentially just. It was an echo chamber of agreement, with the exception of the boyfriend, right? With the exception of him, it was an echo chamber of agreement. So they were clearly trying to make a point to the audience. And I was like, I don't, what is the point that you're driving at here? Like I said, the trans allegory was the best thing I could think of, but that was so convoluted. I don't know why you wouldn't just outright do that. There are so many better ways to make that point. I I just don't, I don't understand what they're doing with this snow character. And again, it's the last season and that's what you're choosing to do right now. The other point that I wanted to mention, Drew, is thinking back on early Arrow and early Flash, I thought one thing that sometimes would trip episodes up, but was regularly a real, ultimately a good problem to have, is that those episodes were chock full, right? Like there was almost too much plot sometimes to get through in an hour, right? And sometimes it, sometimes not for good, right? Sometimes some episodes suffered because of that, but generally speaking, there was so much story for them to tell that they couldn't always necessarily fit it well into an hour. Drew, think about how much episode filler they put into this to make it a full episode. They had multiple flashback scenes where they're not filming new footage, right? Where they are filling the episode by reusing footage repeatedly throughout this episode, even flashing back Drew, multiple times flashing back to the last episode. We just watched that. I don't need to be reminded of that. And even if it's for people watching in the future when it's not live, they're even more likely to remember it because they're probably streaming it. I just don't understand. And then they spent, what, the last five to six minutes of the episode just dancing in the club? A again... It's fine, I guess. It's a it's it's not a bad scene by any means. But you think about why are you doing that? Really, is that they don't have enough to fill an episode. If you take out all of the reused footage and the the essentially pointless dance scene at the end, I think maybe twenty minutes of an episode, and that's what the plot felt like. It felt like they had like a like a, twenty is generous. It felt like they had a basically a 10-minute plot, and we're like, well, it's a 40-minute episode. What the hell are we going to do? Yeah, I totally agree with you, because we didn't really move the plot along that much in this story. Uh, almost, and, almost not at all. And what's strange about it, the season only has 13 episodes. It's not a regular long 22-episode season or whatever. Yeah, I, it's, it, it's a huge waste of an episode, but it, I worry, Drew... I shouldn't say I worry. I, I feel confident saying that I know that this is what it's going to be like because it's what it has been like. I, they just don't have enough to do. They don't know really what to do. And the, the show has been really, if we're being honest, treading water for multiple seasons of just like essentially existing, right? Like the real, the only reason to really be tuning in isn't to find out what happens next because nothing is happening next. It's just because you like the characters and you just want to spend some time with them, which is fine. I get that. But, like, that doesn't work for a TV show. 
Like you've got to give, there has to be some reason to exist. And I just don't think that the show has really honestly had that for a while. And this episode is a great example of that, Drew. What, there's nothing here. There's nothing in this episode. It just exists for 40 minutes. And they struggle to fill those minutes, so they have to reuse footage. And I, I, there's nothing wrong, to be clear. There's nothing wrong with reusing footage, but they didn't need to. There were multiple examples where they were doing it, frankly, because they didn't have 40 minutes worth of a TV episode. The other thing that I, I realized is I thought Joe was not supposed to be on the season. I wonder if he's going to be on all season. I know we, we've had Joe and Cecile talking about moving away, but I, th- I would have swore we talked about Joe being gone after last season. I wonder if it's one of two things, Drew. Either he's gone within the first third to half of the season, which wouldn't surprise me, or he was supposed to be gone, and then they were like, actually, it's the last season. Can we talk you into doing 13 more episodes? And he said yes. Yeah, that's fair. I think I think either is plausible. I don't I have no idea which one it is. It wouldn't shock me if he wanted out and they were like understandable. What if this is the last season? Can we convince you to do 13 last episodes? I could see them talking him into that. I mean, it's a paycheck. So. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. Drew, I don't know which one it is. I think either one is plausible. I think he's either he's he is I mean, he's for sure moving. Is he either moving in the first half of the season or did they just convince him to run the season out and then he moves at the end of the season? I don't know. I also really just don't care. They've not really done a whole lot with, I I don't, it's, I understand that actor's desire to move on. He's not really had anything to do for multiple seasons now. He just sort of sits there. Again, it's the same, I mean, he's, I think he's a great kind of emblematic of what the show is, Drew, where he just sort of is there because he's supposed to be there. Like, it's The Flash, so Joe's on there. I don't think he's had anything real to do in years. Yeah, I agree. He's just kind of there, isn't he? And that could be a one reason why he wanted to move on, too, because he's not really doing anything. I mean, before, uh, yeah. when he was a cop, he did quite a bit, but now that he's not, he's just there. I just, I mean, yeah, for the actor, like, what's he doing? Like, I feel like, he, so he's got to be on set, right? He's got to be there in Vancouver and all of this to, to do what? Like, to film just the most meaningless scenes. I, I I applaud the guy for coming back for this season at all. Like, why? Uh, Drew, I also, I, I, it is I, certainly more clear that the Red Death is not reverse Flash, Drew. I still maintain that the show, I think the show thinks more people know who the Red Death is than what they actually do. I, we've talked about this before, but the, the current showrunner greatly, greatly overvalues the readership of modern comics. I, I don't know what planet he's living on where he thinks that a wide population is up to date on the flash and just DC comics in general, because they, it drew, they aren't. There's a reason why we're talking about DC trying to find new ways to stay relevant. Like, <laughs> it's baffling to me that he's been catering the show to that. And I think this is another example where I think the show thinks we know who the red death is. And like, yes, you and I do. Right. And any other person who is actually currently reading DC Comics probably knows who that character is. But the wide majority who are watching The Flash absolutely do not know who that character is. Yep, totally agree. <laughs> but I really think, Drew, I don't know about you, I got the impression at the end of the episode that the, that the show thought we knew who that was. 
And I was just blown away by that. I was like, how on earth do you think that most people watching this show know who that character is? Yeah, Red she- Death wasn't even a major character within Death Metal, Drew. It's not the Batman who laughs. That was a that was a minor character even within that within that event. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Cletus. Most non-comic readers who saw the end of the issue are probably like, who is that? Why do they have a bat symbol on their chest? So I'm sure they're going to explain who that is in their world coming up soon. But yeah, like the average person, I'm sure they're wondering who the heck that is. All right. Well, that wraps up our episode for this week. Do you have a shout out, Cletus? Yeah. This week when we were reading Human Target, one of the things I really liked is it referenced the story that Ice actually died in. And Drew, I was personally, I like I knew that that character died. I absolutely have not read that comic. <laughs> so I wanted to do some research and look it up. And so the storyline that it's from is called Judgment Day. And it's not in a single book. It was spread across a couple different Justice League books. So it starts in Justice League of America. It goes over to Justice League Task Force, which I didn't even know was a comic. And then Justice League International. And it's split between those three books. The death that the comic is referencing happens in Justice League Task Force number 14, which came out in July of 1994. And do you know who wrote this, Drew? I do not. Very relevant. Mark Wade. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. And interestingly, also, I read that he didn't necessarily like his decision to kill Ice in this issue either, which I found interesting as well. So the storyline, again, the storyline as a whole is called Judgment Day, and it starts in... Justice League America 89, then goes Justice League Task Force 13, then Justice League International 65, then back to America, number 90, Task Force 14, and then ends in International number 66. And then the events that the human target was referencing specifically is Task Force number 14. So all of that happened in the nine in 1994. Kind of interesting, Drew. I, again, I had not read it. And I'll be honest, I the way the artwork read to me, I thought that was, I know that wasn't his name, but I thought that was the character that Hawk got turned into in Zero Hour. And that was my misunderstanding of what I was seeing in that scene. And so then when I read this and Overmaster is a completely different character, I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm not familiar with that story either. I don't know if I read it. I I collected some of those titles back in the day but i don't know if i was collecting them in 1994 judgment day sounds familiar but i can't say that i've read it i don't remember ice dying yeah without digging back through my comics i couldn't tell you if i read the story or not it depends if i have those issues extremely 90s from my light research (laughs) it's possible i don't remember that story so i don't think i did get those issues because i i was reading those titles at at a point and then there was a, a point where i dropped them so i may not have those I don't, I don't remember ice dying i don't remember overmaster i do remember an event called judgment day so of course i could have just heard it secondhand or even maybe i was collecting one of the titles and not the rest of them i it's hard to hard to tell so I don't remember the story, and I can't say that I actually have those, so. 
All right, and for my shout out, I'm going to shout out about Earth Station DCU Classics Episode 9, which is now on the ESO Patreon. Uh, Kevin and I travel back to the year 1972. I review Batman issues number 243 and 244. Batman decides it's time to take down Ra's al Ghul and assembles a team to help him. And this is the first introduction of the Lazarus Pit. Now, Kevin's pick was Supergirl number one. Supergirl's cousin finally has her own official comic book title where she goes back to college and stumbles upon a murder mystery. There is also a silly Zantana backup story. And then finally, Kevin and I attempt to solve a mystery that DC has ignored for over half a century. And that's the truth about Supergirl's psychic-powered roommate, Wanda Five. So, you can, uh, if you're an ESO Patreon, you can check that out. If not, you can still sign up and check that out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you'd like to comment on anything we've talked about tonight, you can reach us at our feedback line, 317-564-9133. Leave us a message. Or you can email us at earthstationdcu at gmail.com. All right, Cletus, coming up next week, we've got Gotham City Year One, Poison Ivy, Batman and the Joker Deadly Duo, Batman, The Flash One Minute War Special, The Flash, Lazarus Planet Legends Reborn, Lazarus Planet's Next Evolution, Monkey Prince, and of course, the television show The Flash. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Time to go. You sure this is necessary? The guardians of the universe seem to think so. How long will you be gone? But we will be back, little brother. I wish I could go with. I doubt your mother would approve. I'll miss you. Perhaps you could water the plants in my apartment while I am gone. Be careful, all right? May the gods be with you all. been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.